the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you had a great weekend. Today is Monday, March the 15th, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today in 44 BC, Roman Emperor Julius Caesar did not have a good day. He was assassinated by high-ranking Roman senators. You may recall the story from history. They began stabbing him. The one that took his life was a stab to the neck. But several were involved. Bad day for Julius Caesar. That day was so bad that it's now known as the Ides of March. Today in 1493, Christopher Columbus returned to Spain after his first New World voyage. Today in 1820, Maine was admitted as the 23rd state of the Union. Today in 1892, New York state unveiled the new automatic ballot voting machine. The whole idea of automatic ballot voting machine just gives me chills after this last election cycle we went through and all of the um, interesting information that kept bubbling to the surface, but the media kept telling us that there was no fraud. And even people that should have known better were telling us there was no fraud in the last election. So, There was no fraud in the last election. All those ballots you saw people unloading from their trucks in the middle of the night, bringing in on a little hand truck through the back door, not to worry. There was no fraud. Anyway, automatic ballot voting machine. (laughs) New York, 1892. Today in 1892 as well, Jesse Reno, he patented the Reno Inclined Elevator. We know it as the escalator. Today in 1913, U.S. President Woodrow Wilson held the first open presidential news conference. Well, we've reverted back to the pre-1913 days. President Joe Biden now has yet to hold a open, honest presidential news conference. He has agreed to be interviewed by George Stephanopoulos at ABC News. That was the a news feature this morning, not only on ABC, but others as well. Isn't that something when we're at a point in the United States where it's news that the president of the United States is going to allow the press to talk to him, but not really. It's George Stephanopoulos, who, of course, was Bill Clinton's right-hand man and is a big supporter of Democrats in particular, and Joe Biden included. So I'm sure that That interview will go just fine. Today in 1919, the American Legion was founded in Paris. Today in 1934, Henry Ford restored the $5 per day wage. Today in 1937 in Chicago, the first blood bank to preserve blood for transfusion by refrigeration was established. There's an interesting uh, story out there this morning uh, from history. From 1938... Today in 1938, oil 
was discovered in Saudi Arabia. Interestingly enough, and I thought this was true, I looked it up. Today, also, the same day, in 1922, Saudi Arabia gained its independence from Great Britain. So on the same day, just a few years, a little over a decade later, 16 years, from gaining independence from Great Britain, they discovered oil in Saudi Arabia. Boy, I'll bet somebody in England was kicking themselves. Today in 1954, CBS television debuted its morning show. Today in 1955, the U.S. Air Force unveiled a self-guided missile. Today in 1990, the Ford Explorer was introduced to the public. And finally, today in 2002, Burger King began selling a, ver- a veggie burger. The event was billed as the first veggie burger to be sold nationally by a fast food chain. I don't know about you, but I remember that. They made a big deal out of it. I've never ordered a veggie burger at Burger King, and I don't intend to. I'm sticking with the beef myself. But that's an individual choice, as they say. There's a couple of news stories out there in Washington State. Um, We've been hearing a lot about New York Governor Cuomo, I mean, on a lot of fronts, his personal matters with women. Uh, is boiling over. It looks like he's done as governor. I, I don't see how he's going to survive this. But uh, we've been also been hearing about his handling of the nursing homes during the pandemic in um, New York State <clears throat> and also Michi- Michigan uh, Governor Whitmer, uh, another far-left Democrat. And they've been embroiled in this scandal involving Uh, placing COVID-positive elderly people in nursing homes and other senior residents who are not positive. And they've they've been infecting the ones that weren't infected. And this was going on for quite some time. But now we're learning that Washington State was doing the same thing. They were, uh, the state, the, the governor, Inslee, the state was, and his people, were directing nursing homes to do the same thing for an additional $100 per day per resident. Ironically, this directive was made about a month after that Life Care Center in Kirkland saw that massive coronavirus outbreak. King TV has been reporting about it in Seattle and uh, about the Life Care Center outbreak, and they're saying there were two major outbreaks, and they're tying it to this policy of Washington State under Governor Inslee for doing essentially the same thing that Whitmer and and uh, Como was doing in Michigan and New York. The Seattle Times says there's these decisions contributed, I'm quoting them, contributed to roughly half of the state's 5,000 coronavirus deaths because, quote, nearly 200 nursing homes had at least one outbreak. The Times says, quote, what's amazing is Inslee and his team saw the outbreak in Kirkland and still kept asking nursing homes to take in COVID-positive patients. There's a whole bunch on that story in Seattle this morning and yesterday, as a matter of fact. And um, I don't know where it will go, but it looked like both King 5 and Como and um, the Seattle Times were all over the story, but there will probably be more coming out about that today. But I suppose that's not surprising because the left tends to do what the left does, progressives. And they they have a mindset. There is a worldview that is 
almost set in stone. In fact, so much so that some people are trying to make the case, and I don't agree with this at all, but there are people trying to make the case today. Town Hall has had published a, an article today by a guy I've never heard of him before, but I guess he writes a lot for them and others. And they're a very good news source, and they have a disclaimer on it. But he, he's making the case today, this morning, that fundamentalist Christianity and fundamentalist wokeism, which is the new you know awareness of, like, George Washington had a slave, so away with all of his, you know, face on, on Rushmore and all the statues and all this kind of thing. They want to cancel him, and it's a cancel culture. So this guy's making the case that Christian, fundamentalist Christianity and fundamentalist wokeism are two sides of the same coin. And he's written quite an article on that. I read the article. I don't agree with where he's coming from. He sounds like a bitter, kid, a bitter man who grew up as a kid in a very fundamentalist Baptist church. And he, he says he did. And uh, he's still pretty bitter because they had a lot of rules. And he said they couldn't go to movies and they couldn't dance and he lists a whole bunch of stuff. But the point is, is not, you know, poor him. He, he should have survived it and he should be okay today. But uh, he apparently is not. But my point is that there, there is, there's a thread beginning to develop that is kind of bringing together. Uh, and, and as he says, there, it's two sides of the same coin trying to um, connect biblical Christianity with secular philosophy, that they're different in their values and their principles, but they operate from the same point of view, and that is creating a, a environment of fear to control the people that are involved in whichever part of that side of that coin uh, you're talking about. So they're basically saying it's the same thing. They, the, what they do is they connect the, the doctrines or the teaching, biblical teaching of hell, which is a real place. I mean, Jesus talked about it. The Bible is very clear. In fact, there's more said about hell than heaven, actually, in the Bible. And it is a real place. I mean, there are real consequences to rejecting God or rebelling against God in this life, not accepting his son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior. And when we go into eternity, there is a real hell. We don't just disappear into a vacuum and think, well, he lived a good life or, or you know, he's going to evolve into something or whatever. I mean, secularism and the world, humanism, has come up with a whole lot of alternatives for life after. But the Bible is very clear. I'm betting on the Bible, I'll tell you for sure, and I think most of you are too. I hope you are, because the Bible the Bible is right. But there's this real effort today, and it's both in the church and outside of the church, that's being made to classify anyone who holds absolute values, absolute truths, based on the Bible, to hold them in parallel or in sync with those who are the secular so-called progressive types who also hold to very distinct virtues or values that they believe to be true, except theirs are always evolving. They're absolutely true 
as long as they're absolutely true. But when they're not true anymore, they've evolved and we've progressed. And they're trying to make that linkage. And at first I thought, boy, that, nobody's going to believe that. But people are believing it. And I'm watching what people are, are, are saying about it and some of the posting and stuff on social media. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that today, just, just a little bit, because I, I, think it's, I think it's worth a few minutes on the air. I also want to share a, a letter I got from a person who supports this ministry and, and has for some time, as many of you do. I want to thank you for that. Um, it says, Dear Gary, I'm letting you, I'm, I'm going to be very careful because I'm not going to mention names or his, it talks about his late wife. And so I'm going to avoid her name. So I'll, I may pause a little bit, but I'm, I'm reading his writing. His writing, his handwriting is better than mine, by the way. <clears throat> it's not perfect, but it's better than mine by quite a bit. But anyway, dear Gary, I'm letting you know about God's grace and mercy. My wife, he names her, was a Lutheran and believed that baptism was a means for her salvation. He said, God is so gracious to us. She, her name, would go to the church he attends. I'm not going to mention it because I don't want to get into that. But they're a, they're a well-known evangelical group of churches across America. And they're, they're very definite about being born again. They, they preach what Billy Graham preached about salvation and, and what I believe personally. Anyway, this church group, and he says she would go to their church uh, if the children or grandchildren were visiting. And he said, I've been going to this church for 25 years. Our three children are all born again, They also, and also our granddaughters. He said on October 18th, she went to the cottage in the meadows here in Yakima. He lives in Yakima. On Friday the 19th, she would, could still speak and understand. He said, I got close to her face and I said her name. Would you like to receive Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord? She said, yes, I would. He, sa- he writes, she asked Jesus to be her Savior and Lord of her heart. There were tears in her eyes as she surrendered her heart to Jesus. The next day she could not speak or open her eyes. On Sunday, she passed away. The family all gathered around her and sang, Victory in Jesus. God's grace and mercy, what a wonderful time for our family. The Lord continue to bless you and your wife, your children, your grandchildren, a brother in Christ. Thank you, my brother, for sharing that with us. I hope that touches you because it touches me. That is the most important thing that anyone in life can do, is to accept Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And I would just add to that, you may be a member of a church that that teaches salvation comes through the sacraments, salvation comes through church membership or baptism in that case. I believe in baptism. I believe in immersion. I believe in people being involved in their churches. I was a pastor. I wanted everybody to be involved in our church. Not everybody did, but I wanted them to. I mean, all in on that, but that is not where foundation uh, salvation is found. Salvation is found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you, perhaps you identify with this person, she was obviously a religious person and a very good person. But if you are in that situation in your own life, please consider. In fact, don't consider it. Just do it. Accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The book of Romans says if you believe in your heart 
if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, is he is the Son of God, he is risen from the dead, ask him to forgive you of your sins and come into your into your life and have a personal relationship with him, you shall be saved. You'll be saved from an eternity absent from God. And you'll be in hell. And God doesn't want anybody to go there. So consider that as we continue. God in politics in America. I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. I think it bears a few minutes of discussion. I want to thank you also for your support of this ministry. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, 98009. Best-selling author. He wrote the book, Islam's Exceptionalism. It's widely read. He's a journalist. Shaddai Hamid, himself a Muslim. He wrote a feature article in The Atlantic, I follow the Atlantic because it's one of the bright stars of the far, far left. It's widely read. As religious faith has declined, he writes, ideological intensity has risen. Will the quest for secular redemption through politics doom the American ideal? This is a Muslim writing this. Hamid sees an America that's shifting its hope from religion to politics. Is he right? As both our culture and evangelicalism itself are being torn by two very different competing views regarding speaking truth to the culture, would God prefer would God really prefer his people to simply shut up and be nice and not enter the dirty, filthy, brash, awful world of politics? They're making the case that we should. But I think we should stand up and be heard. And we can be nice as well. We need to be informed, but not misled. Hamid's family is from Egypt. Both he and his family are Muslim. But he raises a few questions that we need to look at. Oftentimes, we Christians don't look at what the other side, the left, the secular humanist side is saying. I want to do that for a moment this morning. Hamid writes in this feature article, and in, 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 The Atlantic is widely read. It's been around forever. He says, from 1937 to 1998, church membership remained relatively constant, hovering about 70% in America. Then something happened, he writes. Over the past two decades, that number has dropped to less than 50%, the sharpest recorded decline in American history. Meanwhile, the nuns, not Catholic women, but nuns, N-O-N-E-S, that means no religion. When you when these people take these um, surveys, and maybe you have taken some, I, I try to avoid them like the plague, but when you take these surveys, there's, you know, what is your religious affiliation, and you can, you can choose Catholic, Protestant, blah, 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 and there's always none. Well, that's what he's talking about, and, and all of these pollsters use that term, nuns. And so uh, he's talking about atheists, agnostics, those claiming no, basically no religious affiliation. He says, meanwhile, the nuns have grown rapidly and today represent a quarter of our population. Well, let me just pause because that isn't exactly true. He's a little bit misinformed there, and he probably wants to be misinformed. There are a number of surveys out there that do support that, but there's an equal number of surveys that show that that is not a proper, it's not a correct 
a sampling of, of America, particularly the young. Younger people today, and most all these polls, when they check none, they mean they're not a member of an organized church. But many of them will go on to say if the survey goes deeper, and most of them don't, but if they do, most of, or many of them, not most, but many of those younger people who will, who will check none on a survey will also go on to tell you that they have a personal relationship with God. They read the Bible, and some of them will say, I know Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. But they've already categorized themselves as a nun or a non-religious person. So that's where these things get a little screwed up. And the left uses these polls, and they use that. I think they know better. But they use that to, to influence you in a direction they're trying to take you. I think that's what this guy is doing. But he does make some good points. There is no question that things are changing. And this it's a long article, but he includes his article with this. He said, as Christianity's hold in particular has weakened, ideological intensity and fragmentation have risen. American faith, it turns out, is as fervent as ever. It's just that what was once religious belief has been merged with political belief. So he makes the case that what our, our enthusiasm for, for Christ and the kingdom of God, we evangelical Christians, this is what he's particularly talking about, have, we have now kind of transferred that, that emotion, that energy from the kingdom of God and doing the Christian thing, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, etc. We've kind of now transferred that in his mind to politics. I probably wouldn't have mentioned this guy, except he's, he is widely read, and he's written a, a bestseller about how great Islam is. But he also makes some points that we should be aware of, and we should guard ourselves. Because unfortunately, in some cases, that may be true. Politics has become a religion of sorts. And every day on this program, I talk about what's going on in the news I'm an ordained minister, a pastor, a youth pastor, a music pastor, my whole life. But I talk about what's going on in the news, and I do so to the best of our ability from the, a biblical perspective. What's in the news is what we talk about on this program, originating live every morning. This is not pre-recorded and canned and sent out, you know, so you'll hear it at some later date. I mean, we're doing this now. We're doing the work because I think it's that important. I feel the Lord has spoken to my heart about it. But... We want to be very careful, and I think some of these guys that are trying to, um, they're trying to seize the opportunity to push people more toward believing what they're saying by virtue of reporting that it's happening. You see, you know what I'm saying. So anyway, we're looking at that kind of a situation. He rightly points out that Christians should and must be involved in speaking to cultural issues, but he says it has now become a, the Christian's religion. Well, Islam was founded on conquering and war. And I mean, you read the history, and I've talked about it on this program before. We'll talk about, talk about it again, I'm sure, but I'm not going to get into it today necessarily. But I mean, Islam is, 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 a, is a bloody religion. I mean, it was about conquering and war, the whole basis of it. And it's on the enlightenment of Muhammad, supposedly. Christianity is not really a religion. If you look at all the religions of the world, it's it's unique and different. And it really, it's, it's considered a religion because they don't know what else to call it. But Christianity really is about a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, 
who came to this earth by virgin birth, was crucified, died, and was resurrected. And that's a story that no other religion even attempts to tell because they know people wouldn't believe it. The reason that people believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ is because first and foremost, 500 people saw Jesus at the time of his life and death. And they saw him after he'd been put in the tomb. He was dead. And they saw him. Do you think the disciples would have gone out and preached the gospel and every one of them except John to a one would, were, were mar- martyred for the cause of the preaching the gospel? Do you think they would have done that if it would have been kind of a philosophy that they all got together around the table in some upper room somewhere and said, well, let's, let's, let's create a religion now that's kind of based around the teachings of Jesus, and he was a good man, he was a wonderful rabbi, great teacher, and he's not with us anymore, and we're going to go out and we're going to teach this religion. Yeah, men are capable of doing those kinds of things. They've done that. Islam is that. Buddhism is that. A lot of the, most of the religions are, that's how they were founded whatever, in many of the cults. Most of the cults were founded on the basis of some former person or or existing person and what they believe in their teaching. What I'm saying is that Christianity doesn't fit that mold. For a moment, do we think that these men, these disciples as we know them, would have gone out and given their life to preach not only what Jesus taught, but to preach his resurrection? No, they wouldn't have. Maybe a few would, but not all of them. I doubt that any would have. But they did, and they gladly did so. And they took the gospel to their world, and now to the world, and more than two billion people claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. So Christianity is not a part of the bunch when it comes to religion. And I think most of us who know Christ personally certainly understand that. But today in in this horrible mess of political crassness and, I mean, four-letter words and the F word and all this stuff is, I mean, it's out there. I mean, every day we see this. And so there's a sense among Christianity and Christians to just say, I've had enough. I can't take this anymore. And they just check out. And now these people here are saying, yes, see, these biblical Christians and all their values and virtues, they've shifted their religion. It's now a political philosophy. Let's be careful that we don't do that. And that's what I wanted to leave with you today. I wrote a rather lengthy article on that at faithandfreedom.us today. We publish an article every day called Faith and Freedom Daily. I write it, and it's often about things we talk about on this program. Sometimes it's about a different subject, but every day it's there. I would encourage you to read that because we, we spend some time on it, and we get, um, we get our sources there, and you can look up what we're saying and <clears throat> do a little research, <clears throat> excuse me, if you want to. But I would encourage you to take a look at that today and read that because we don't want to be caught in a, in a trap of one coming across as though we've replaced our Christianity with political beliefs, but neither do we want to be pushed out of the arena because God would have us in the culture and in the arena and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the values, and standing up 
for godly government, because that's biblical. I wish I had more time today, but I don't. I would like to continue talking to you about this subject, but I think you get it. So let's be careful, and let's heed the call. Keep Jesus first, and politics second. I'll see you tomorrow.